church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes, what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then one day she told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, so she told me to play an eight-note scale. So I did. I said, how is that good news? And she said I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses. The pauses? She said, the pauses. Add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, my mama got sick and passed away. As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. And that's when I realized the good news she was talking about. Merry Christmas. Come on, stand to your feet. How many of you guys are excited to be in the house of God this morning? Worship Jesus together. He is the reason for the season. We're glad you chose to be in church today. No other place on earth better than with God's people. Amen. Come on, sing this with me. Sing. Sing. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive. 
church this morning. It's going to be a good morning. try it one more time. Merry Christmas to you. I was afraid I was going to have to add a ho, ho, ho to get to you to come with me on this journey of faith this morning. Isn't it good to know the Lord? Amen. The whole issue of the story of Christmas is much more than we just normally get outside the walls of any given church. It is so much more, so much deeper, so much more meaningful, and we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit. I want to just uh, let you know, by the way, ushers, if you'd come, we're going to receive the morning tithes and offering. Appreciate so much all of you who have, over the course of this year, have given and helped in the ministry of the church and have blessed people that need blessing. This next... uh, uh, tomorrow, actually, is tomorrow is Christmas Eve. How many knew that already? <laughs> Just for those of you that have been sleeping like Rumpelstiltskin, it is, it is the case tomorrow's New Year's Eve. And so tomorrow at 3.30, 3.30 or 5.30, right here will be our Christmas Eve service. Very special time together. It's not a long service. It's a short service with then family communion. And again, the way we do family communion is we have three spots and families come up together as a family and we share with them communion, pray for them as a family, and then off they go to whatever activities they had. Other families come forward until all the families have been served. It's a marvelous, marvelous time tomorrow. So 3.30 or 5.30 will be the service Uh, tomorrow. 
Let's, let's ask the Lord to bless this offering, shall we? Father, we thank you. We praise you. Lord, you're a good God, a good God, that you made it possible that, Lord, we have Christmas to celebrate that really is all about your love for us. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work deep in our hearts, that, Lord, we might really experience the joy of Christmas this year. Lord, we know this. We know that there are testings to our joy. We know that there are life issues that come our way that absolutely excruciating, that rip our hearts out. But we also know that, Lord, if there is any possibility of life being poured back into us, joy being poured back into us, peace poured back into us, it's because of what you have done for us and because we can talk to you and you do hear us when we pray. We need, Lord, we need you to hear our hearts cry. Lord, today, would you bless everyone who comes and speak to our hearts today and bless each one who gives, Lord, on this, this Sunday. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you watch the screen? My favorite Christmas story is when all my family comes all over from all over different states and comes to my house during Christmas time. My favorite Christmas story is actually here at the intersection. Being part of this family has been a wonderful, wonderful experience for us. So I remember one day uh, we had brought most of my living room down to this very platform to set up for the Christmas dinner theater. And I picked up my video camera thinking I was going to review videos that had been done for the Christmas dinner theater. And what I found was a video that my sons had done. And it started with a young man dressed in tan from here to there and with reindeer antlers on his head. He came running out from behind the platform, which I understand reindeer often do, jumped over the back of my couch, flopped onto the floor, and then the camera started shaking and I heard laughter and immediately recognized my sons laughing and the Allsberger boys laughing and the Wells boys laughing. And the young man that did that was one of the Lallier boys, and he's Jim the Reindeer. So many of our memories are around this church and this family, and I am so grateful to uh, know that a little baby born into a little family in Bethlehem made a way for all of us to be included in God's forever family. My favorite Christmas story for myself is probably about a dozen years ago. We were on a strike out at my job, and I hadn't... Uh, worked a whole lot. Christmas was pretty lean at our house, or was going to be pretty lean, and uh, I pulled picket duty the night of Christmas from 2 to 6 in the morning, and uh, it was a night of just silence, quiet, uh, eight or ten guys sitting around a wood-burning barrel, uh, fellowshipping and, and enjoying their time together. And I guess for me that was the first time that I'd ever really, truly, not only heard, but understood the words of Silent Night, and uh, that'll probably always be my favorite moment.
this with us. Remember it's your birthday. Come on, ring those bells by the Christmas tree. Jesus is the King for you and me. Come on, ring those bells, everybody say. Jesus, we remember it's your birthday. Come on, ring those bells by the Christmas tree. Jesus is the King for you and me. Come on, ring those bells, everybody say. Jesus, we remember it's your birthday. Jesus, we remember it's your birthday. Jesus, we remember it's your birthday. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With occasional melody and everyone telling you be a good cheer. It's the most Wonderful time of the year. Sing it again. It's the most. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kitchen bell and everyone telling you be a good cheer. It's the most wonderful time. It's the most wonderful time. It's the most wonderful time Because Jesus Christ is born 
and she was all white. And the angel said, you're going to have a special baby. And it was God's son. She was quite excited. A bit scared. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have the son of God. And then she was like, I can't, I'm not married and stuff. Joseph, he was a builder. 
Mary told Joseph that she was having a baby called Jesus and it was God's son. He's like, what? Then Joseph saw the angel in a dream. I think Joseph was really scared. And then they went to Bethlehem. On a donkey. It'd be quite hot. She had a baby in her tummy and she would have been really heavy. Can we stop anywhere with these houses? I had to try and find somewhere for Mary to have the baby. I went around a whole neighbourhood. No Everyone said no in an angry voice because it was the middle of the night. No. The last innkeeper, he said, yeah, there's a barn type thing around the back. They had to go to a barn and have their baby. It had sheeps. It was like all hay and animal poop and sheep and things. Mary put baby Jesus in one of those troughs. They call the baby Jesus and they loved him. And he has two daddies, God and Jesus. They both needed to look after the baby. The angel told the shepherds to follow the star. There was three kings. They followed the star all the way to where Jesus was born. When they get to the table, they go through the ears the presents. And then they got some angels as visitors too. And then there was a giant star. Everyone was there. Then there was a party. there's nothing like a children's perspective when it comes to Christmas for certain my uh, one of my grandchildren my grandson Andrew is five years old and uh, he attends kindergarten and this week his teacher decided to tell her class what uh, why she was excited about Christmas this year and so she relayed the story to them, a part of her family story that was very important to her, of course, and she told the class that, that she has two sons that live on the East Coast. <clears throat> and she was very excited because both sons were coming home for Christmas. And one of the sons she hasn't seen for two years. 
And so she, she relays the story. Then she poses the question to the class. She says, so why do you think I am so excited about Christmas this year? And immediately, young Andrew's arm goes up. And, you know, so he, he's paying attention. He's listening. And he's got the answer. So she, she points to him and says, so Andrew, why do you think I'm excited about Christmas this year? And he quickly, without any hesitation, said, because Jesus was born. Which had nothing to do with her story, of course. <laughs> and uh, so Isaac picked him up from school that afternoon, and the teacher saw Isaac and shared with him the story. And, and the teacher said to Isaac, said, said you know, uh, Andrew helped her to keep everything in perspective. And I think, you know, this is, this is a reality. When you think about Christmas, there is a child's perspective, uh, and then there's also the perspective of understanding what it was that God was up to. Not just simply a jingle bells moment, but God was doing something that would impact this world for all time and into eternity. And so there's, there's a perspective that becomes a part of our story. And I want to just, for a moment, read to you Luke's perspective. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Listen to what Luke has to say. <clears throat> and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Christmas story, in many ways, is the beginning of your story and of my story as well. And in fact, if it had not been for the birth of Jesus, this shouldn't come as any surprise to anyone there would be no Christmas story at all. If it had not been for the birth of Jesus, there'd be no controversy over Christmas trees. If it had not been for the birth of Jesus, there would be no question mark about whether we should talk about a holiday or Christmas because there would be no holiday. If it had not been for the birth of Jesus, in fact, there would be no, um, no giving and receiving of, of gifts and presents. If it hadn't been for the birth of Jesus, there would be uh, no plane flights home for, for Christmas, and the planes wouldn't be overloaded and full as they are now. If it had not been for Jesus, guess what? There'd be no such thing as time and a half or double time and a half on Christmas Day. If Jesus hadn't been born, it'd be just a regular old payday. You know, it just would be the same. In fact, if it hadn't been for the fact that Jesus would born, was born, there would be no Black Friday. Can you imagine that? The marketplaces would be empty and normal, and they wonder how in the world they were going to survive if it had not been 
for Jesus and his birth. So when you think about the birth of Jesus, the fact of it is, is that the, his birth has tremendous implications into the lives of every person on this planet, and probably a lot more implications than a lot of people want to admit to or accept. The implication is far more than double time and a half getting paid on, on Christmas Day. The implications reach all the way from time into eternity because the Son of God was born on this planet for you and I. When I think about Christmas for me, personally, I consider Christmas to be the beginning of my life. In fact, literally, I was born six days after Christmas. And like many of you, the first couple of years, can't really remember too much that happened in the first couple of years. But with, by the time just about three years had passed, the very first memory, if I think about my life story and I think about what I can remember that makes up a part of my life, the very first memory I have before anything else is a Christmas morning memory. I can't remember what happened on Christmas Eve. I don't remember what happened the week before, the month before, a year before. I, the very first thing that I could remember, if I can remember back as far as I can remember, the very first thing I can ever remember was a Christmas morning memory. And, and it was this. I remember it would have been December 25th, 1956. Now some of you that are blowing and breathing out there, some of you are earlier than that, so, you know. But uh, 1956, what I remember on December 25th, 1956, I was in bed in my bedroom in Long Beach, California. My brother and I, my older brother and I, shared a bedroom together. Now, there are things that I had learned for the two years, two and almost three years, just about three years before that. So even though I can't remember anything, there are things that I had come to know and learn. But this is the very first memory. And my memory is I wake up in my brother Michael in my bedroom, and uh, he is, I'm, I'm wakened by the fact that I hear him getting out of bed. I look over, and there's my older brother Michael getting out of bed. I'm just almost three years of age. I'm watching him get out of bed, and so, like any good three-year-old, I'm going to go do what my brother does. So I'm getting out of bed, too. But I'm a little more noisy, and, he's, and I remember him trying to say to me, you know, shh, you got to be quiet, you got to be quiet. Because, see, Mom and Dad are still asleep in bed. So we sneak out of our bedroom. We sneak past my parents' bedroom right across the hallway there, we sneak down the hallway quietly. I'm right behind him. I'm right on his tail. I can't see anything but my brother's back. And I'm watching him, and I'm taking his steps, and I'm following him all along the way, as a good three-year-old would do. We get to the end of the hallway, and I can clearly see inside it from right now even. My mind can easily see it. You can look from the end of the hallway through a little bit of a dining room, and you see into the living room, and in that back corner of our living room is this big, beautiful Christmas tree. And suddenly, my brother Michael sprints to the tree. I sprint after him. And when I get to the tree, I can see, still in my mind's eye, two big beautiful fire trucks it was awesome 
And we, we got upon those trucks and we started making all kinds of noise. And pretty soon my folks were in the room with us. The very first thing I ever remember, if I can go back as far as I can remember anything, I can remember nothing before that. So for me, I, I often think about it, and I'll, I'll say, you know, for me, my, my life began at Christmas. But the truth of the matter is, not only did my, in my memory at least, my life begin at Christmas, but another reality is this, that my life began because of Christmas, because of what Jesus did and his coming and all that he accomplished for us. The fact is this, Christmas becomes a yearly reminder that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Christmas becomes that and, and I remember that there was an occasion in my own life that, that I'm, I, I realize that I'm not going to get to heaven. I'm not going to have a place in heaven simply because my parents have a place in heaven. It's not like they have a room for me to live in in their place in heaven. I have to have my own place. And so I realized, there came a point in my life when I realized that the coming of Jesus, born in a manger... Not just simply to be a babe in the manger, but to be much more for us than that was for me as well as everyone else. I realized that the reality of it is, is that, if, that Jesus is different than all other babies. He's not the first baby that had ever been born and probably laid in a manger or worse. There, there are billions of babies that have been born on this planet so he's not the first one. And there, there are probably millions upon millions, if not billions, of babies that are born in, in as the song we sing says, a mean estate or lowly kind of place where things just weren't that way, abject poverty. There are probably millions upon millions, if not billions of babies that have experienced a, a manger stable type of birth, certainly. So that's not what makes Jesus all that different or special but what makes him unique and what makes him special is that he was born of a virgin like no other baby had ever done before or since and that he was the son of God and what made him different is that he grew up out of that manger to become a man who would walk this planet sinless without sin and it gave him the ability to carry upon himself all of my sin and all of yours and all of the sin of the world in order that he might die upon a cross, pay for our sins, so that he could then rise from the dead, overcome the power of death in order that you and I in him could also overcome the power of death and have eternal life. No other baby, only one. So I say, for me... Christmas was the beginning of my life, but also I can say that my life began because of Christmas. For if God had not sent his only begotten son into the world, if God had not loved us that much that Jesus was willing to come, leave his place, his throne in heaven, and become here a man and take upon our sin, then there would be little to celebrate. But there's much to celebrate now. Because there came a day when I came to an intersection, the intersection of decision. It's the decision, it's the place where you say, 
you know, my parents' relationship to God, their religion is not going to do anything for me. I have to make a decision. And so I had to decide, was I going to go on with my life without Jesus in my heart? Or was I going to turn now at that intersection and say yes to Jesus and go on with him for myself? I know many of you will be surprised to hear this, but when I was born, I was not born with a Bible in my hand. I was not born with, a, with, a, with an ordination paper that says that I am a pastor. I was not born as this, this wonderful, marvelous kid. Uh, I was born a rowdy, very ambitious, testing my mother at every corner type of kid. But somewhere along the line, God helped me to see that I needed him. And I said yes to Jesus. And so my life, not only memory-wise, begins at Christmas, but my life begins because of Christmas. Because Jesus gave me an opportunity to know God and to have the peace that only God can give. What I discovered, like many of you have already discovered, this journey of faith that we're on when we say yes to Jesus is oftentimes more of an adventure than it is simply just a journey. It's an adventure. Because sometimes, I don't know if you've discovered this yet or not, but sometimes living for God is not really convenient. Have you discovered that? It's not, it's not oftentimes convenient. In fact, sometimes it's inconvenient. And sometimes other people aren't all that excited about the fact that you have faith in Jesus. You're not all excited about the fact that to you, Merry Christmas is important, not just simply Happy Holidays. Because this is not just a season of which you get to open up gifts and have some family fun. But you recognize that would never happen if it hadn't been for Jesus and his birth. And it means something to you. And so sometimes we run into situations that are a little bit inconvenient. On the days that were leading up to the birth of Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph are preparing their place. They're, they're getting it ready. They're, they're getting their home set uh, to have a place in which their new baby that's coming into their lives will will be able to, to rest and they can raise this child up when all of a sudden they get a knock at the door and a Roman soldier is, display, is, is most likely delivering the news throughout the town. And, and it is this, that Caesar Augustus has decided that everybody in the land has to go to the city of their birth or the city of their family heritage and register for the census because Caesar wants to know how many people are under him, how many people he rules over, how many he's the Caesar over. And so, so this Roman soldier's passing the word. The word goes throughout the whole town, and everybody knows that if their family heritage isn't from Nazareth, they have to go wherever that is at, and they have to do it right now. Well, Joseph and Mary, they're thinking, are you kidding me? Mary's going to have a baby here any day. She's just about ready to have a baby. And, and our family heritage is like 70 miles away. This is horribly inconvenient. And so here's a woman. They have no choice. Joseph has to saddle her up on a donkey. And they have to ride 70 miles from Nazareth up through the Judean hills to a little town called Bethlehem terribly inconvenient. 
they get there to discover that the little town of Bethlehem has swollen by thousands because it's probably a town of maybe 300 people back in those days. And so they, they get to town, but now there are thousands of people there. And they've got to find a place because it's probably the case that Mary was already starting to have labor pains. She's probably saying, Joseph, come on, Joseph. You've got to get us a place here pretty quick. I don't want to have a baby on the back of a donkey. Come on. I mean, you know, the pressure is on. It's building. He goes to the inn, and there is no room in the inn. There's no place. There's thousands of people there. This place is already booked. So now they've got to find some place to go. They finally get their way, make their way to a stable, which is a cave that's been, that, that has been used for, for housing animals. I, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but when you know how many people that the town usually had and how many thousands of people, thousands upon thousands, were in Bethlehem now, and most likely they weren't the only people in that, that stable cave. They probably had to kind of step over some people and bodies and animals and chickens and cows and lambs and who knows what. Uh, according to that little movie, there might even been a few deposits there. Who knows that they had to get around? I don't know, but the, the kid's way of thinking. They get to the back of the cave. They find their own little spot that they can lay down, and she's got to give birth to a baby with animals and people filling the room. I remember the day when, when dads couldn't even be in the room when they were having babies. Now they can, fortunately, but back then, you know, there was a period of time when just for the sterilization. But there she is in the back of this cave with all of the sounds of childbirth, screaming, crying, painful. Come on, Joseph, quit breathing in my face like that. You know, all that stuff. <laughs> you know, whatever they did in the back of the cave. Finally, she gives birth to a baby. They don't have a lot of stuff with them. So what are they going to do? It's not like they could run down to Target and buy a new set of duds for this little guy. So what a lot of people don't recognize is, is that the caves in those days were not only used as stables, but they were also used as burial grounds. And so they would have hollowed out places in the caves in which they would later on when a person died, they have the niche already hollowed out and then they push the body into and they seal it off. And so they have, they have linens already in place in those hollowed out places where they would put a loved one at some point when that loved one dies. And so what we know it to be is swaddling clothes. What is swaddling clothes? It's nothing more than grave wrappings, grave linens that they would use. And so Mary and Joseph, somebody ran to a, one of those niches and pulled out the linens and they wrapped baby Jesus in burial clothes and laid him in a manger on that day. Horribly inconvenient. There's nothing about that story that says that, that was written the way Joseph or Mary would have written it. It, was, it wasn't an easy trip, but it brought them to the place in which there could be the fulfillment of prophecy, God's word, and miracle happening. Now, here's, here's the reality of it. Because of all those inconveniences, they got to be a part of the greatest story ever told. Those inconveniences we're all a part of a story of how much God loves you and how much God loves me so that Jesus came into this world. 
a story filled with all kinds of inconveniences. But those inconveniences got them to the place in which their lives could intersect with God's intended purpose of redeeming mankind from their sins and restoring us in relationship to God and giving us the promise of eternal life. I, th I think about that and, and I think about yesterday for me. I was horribly inconvenienced yesterday. Yesterday morning did not go the way I planned it. I had uh, planned to meet one marvelous member of our congregation on the north side at 8 o'clock for breakfast to talk with him uh, at a restaurant on the north side. So I, le I, I like to be early. If I'm not 15 minutes early, in my mind, I'm late. So I, I left in plenty of time, and I'm driving up that direction. I get onto Argonne, and I got to the stoplight that's at Argonne and Upriver Drive. You know where that's at? And, and the post office is right there on your right-hand side. I get up to that, that stoplight, and as soon as I came to a stop, suddenly the front end of my truck is enveloped with, with a white smog, fog, I should say. I knew exactly what was going on. I looked at my temperature gauge, and I'm watching my temperature gauge going up really rapidly. I turn the corner. I pull into the, the library parking lot, shut off the truck, open up the hood, and I have got, I've got uh, antifreeze all over my engine. It, something, this was not a leak. This was a blowout. This totally, totally inconvenienced me. And now I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I don't have my good friend's phone number. They, oh, and he's going to go be at the restaurant. What am I going to do? 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 And who shall I call? So I, sat, I went and I sat in the truck a minute and thought, okay, who shall I call? Well, I can't call any of you because Saturday morning early, and what are you going to do anyway if you came and tried to help me? What do I got? I got it because this thing was a major blowout. So I've I got to get... I can't drive it anywhere, and how I got to get it towed. So I'm thinking through it all, and so finally I realized, okay, what I got to do is I got to call a tow truck. So I pull out my smartphone. Thank God for smartphones. You know, there's those days you want to throw them, but there's those days you're so grateful you have them. And so I, I googled towing, car towing. Came up, and there's a list of a number of different places. And I think to myself, okay, which one shall I call upon? And I don't know which one I should call, so I'm thinking through that, and I'm looking at him, and I finally said, okay, I'll call this one. And I called him. Lady answers the phone. Uh, sounded like she had, sounded like I had just woken up her babies in the background. And I thought, okay, 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 okay. So uh, she said, yep, no problem. Be about 45 minutes. Someone will be there. I waited about 15 minutes, and I got a phone call from a man. He sounded like he had just woke up. And he said, I'll be there in about a half an hour. Uh, so I, I, okay, so then I'm thinking, How, what am I going to do? I got to do, I got this friend that's waiting up there for me. Then I thought, oh, I got my smartphone. I'll dial 411, see if his phone number is listed. I dialed 411, gave the name. Sure enough, it gave me his phone number. I called his place. Apparently, he'd already been gone because he didn't answer. So I left a message on his machine. 
So I hung up from that and I thought, oh, man, he's going to think I'm just a complete low life that doesn't make appointments and what rotten pastor can't show up. And I'm sitting at a restaurant by myself waiting. And I'm thinking of all this and I think, okay, 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 what can I do? Then I remember, oh, I know the name of the, of course, the name of the restaurant. I, I 411 got the name of the restaurant, called the restaurant, and I described that there's, there's one man there and kind of described him a little bit. And they, and they said, no, nobody, no one here yet like that. I said, well, okay, here's the deal. Here, here's what's supposed to be happening. I'm not there. When you see him come in, would you please explain the story to me, to him? They said, okay, okay. So then I hung up. Now I'm waiting for a little bit longer. And finally, the, here comes, I waited probably 35 more minutes. And finally, here comes the tow truck. The guy pulls in, and I, and, and I said to him right away, I said, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm messing up your Saturday morning. You probably weren't getting ready to enjoy a, a day getting ready for Christmas and stuff. I'm sorry for messing it up. And he says, oh, no, no, that's all right. No, no problem. And as he's hooking up the, 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 the truck to his truck, he, we, we get to talking a little bit more. And finally, he says this to me. He said, he said, how, you know, he said, how is it possible that you, you seem to be in such good spirits even though your, your morning's been all goofed up and messed up? How come you're in such good spirits? See, now, as soon as he said that, my brain said, no, you didn't. You didn't just ask me to tell you about Jesus, did you? Yes, you did. You went there. You went there. So, I said, well... I said, you know what? The reason why I can still be a good spirit is because, you know what? My, my life is in God's hands. You know, I just, I just know God. I, you know, God really kind of has things for us. And so then he started telling me his story. And he started telling me how years ago he was supposed to fly somewhere. And he said that some, for some reason, I don't remember what it is he said, but something happened that that interfered with him, inconvenienced him, actually, from getting on the plane, and the plane took off, and somewhere along the line, the plane crashed in a field in Pennsylvania and uh, killed the people on board. He would have been on that plane. And I said, well, wow, sounds to me like maybe God... God's been watching out over you. Maybe God's hand is on you. And, and then we get into his truck and he starts telling me his whole life story. He's telling me all kinds of things. It's actually an interesting story. A very nice man. And he's telling me all these things. And then we, we get to, so we tow the truck over to the place that I'm going to get it repaired. And we, we pull it in. And uh, fortunately, they're open and working. So I said, well, let me run in real quick and I'll, I'll get it started going while you're taking the, my truck off and so he's out in the middle of their parking lot and he undoes my truck because he said I can start it and back it into a place after be easier than him trying to back it in and I said fine so I, I ran in there I'm, I'm telling them what I need they said great we can fix it I went back out he's got my truck undone and he's kind of starting to fill out the paperwork so I can pay him and, the, and he's, he's telling me the story and he keeps going on with the story and he's telling me how his wife had, had been in the hospital and she got this, this infection from just a little tiny thing that really was nothing and that little infection went into a huge thing and she got something that is very very rare and went into the hospital and it dis and they discover that uh, that the right surgeon for their situation is right here in Spokane and in fact people come from all over the United States here to Spokane 
for this particular surgeon because he's the best in the United States at, at this kind of an issue. And so, so it, he's telling me all this and how his, his wife's in there and she almost died and this guy did his surgery and stuff and he's, he's going on and on and on. And I'm standing up there and I'm starting to get cold because now we've been standing in the parking lot for 20 minutes I'm listening to this story. Finally, the, the shop guys come out and say, you know, we got some other cars. We got to get in and out of the shop here and you're kind of in the way. Can, can we get these trucks moved a little bit? And, and he says, oh yeah, yeah, just a minute. And he finishes the story. And, and we're going, and I'm, and I'm looking back and I'm thinking about all these things and I'm thinking, you know, for me, I was a bit inconvenienced yesterday, but somehow God has a way of, through inconveniences, getting us right to the spot that God wants us to be. He moves us to where He wants to use us and to bless us. And for some of you that may need Jesus in your life, he moves you to a place in which he can intersect your life with people who love the Lord. I'm not talking religious people. Frankly, religious people irritate me. I'm not a religious person. I am a farm boy who loves Jesus. I frankly am surprised that God ever called me to be a pastor because I'm not refined enough to be a pastor. I, it, it takes everything in me just to put on some slacks and a sweater so I look somewhat presentable. I'd actually rather wear some boots and shorts this morning. Boots up to here and shorts to here. You know, I, I would just, I'd be more comfortable. So I'm not impressed with religiosity. But I am impressed with the fact that God knows how to, to inconvenience us to get us to where he wants us to be so he can speak life to us, care about us, love us when things are going hard and so that he can use us for someone else's benefit. It was horribly inconvenient for Mary and Joseph, but the fact that they were inconvenienced, that became a part of the story that led to the redemption of millions upon millions upon millions of people all the way to you and I. The fact that I am inconvenienced yesterday or you might be tomorrow, who knows what or when, you just don't know how God might use you to make a difference in someone's life, to care for them, to love them, to let them know that, yeah, life gets hard. Life can be inconvenient. Things don't always go the way we planned them. Didn't go yesterday the way I planned it, and I guarantee that sitting out in this room, there are issues you're faced with right now that you never planned, and yet you're having to face it. Not only inconvenient, it's just plain wrong, but somehow God steers our life to a place in which he can rescue us from a life of, of awful pain and emptiness. It was that way for Joseph. Joseph, God told him he's going to rule over his brothers. He's going to, he was going to be king over his brothers. Next thing he knows in the Bible, the Bible says that he was thrown down in the bottom of a well by his brothers. Then they pull him out of it and sell him into slavery, never to be seen again, apparently. And the, the slave traders take him to Egypt. He's there until finally the, the head of the household makes a play for him. The head of the household's wife makes a play for him and, and, and he has to run and she lies about it and the, the head of the household throws him into prison. Now years go by, he's in prison. Doesn't really look like anything's going the way that he thought God would have them go. His life is being horribly inconvenienced. 
Finally, he gets out of prison and God begins to elevate him in the Egyptian government and the, the whole world began to go through a famine and, and God told Joseph that was going to happen. So Joseph began to prepare. He began to collect all kinds of grain and put it in big grain storages and began to get everything ready for a seven years from now, a huge famine. In fact, if you watch the Discovery Channel, you see that there, there are signs of a horrible, horrible famine back in that day. And uh, so it's a reality. And Joseph prepared for it. And they've even found, uh, literally, in Egypt, the areas in which there were great grain bins that supplied the people during those famines. They've actually found them. And Joseph had collected all of that. And one day his brothers show up from, from the land of Israel. They're starving. They need to find some food. They end up before their brother. They thought their brother was long gone dead. And now, suddenly, they're standing before their brother who has power to, to kill them. And Joseph ends up saying to them, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, his life was horribly inconvenienced, but God meant it for good. And you look at your own situation, and right now, say, there, there's nothing good going to come out of this. And, and frankly, I, if, if you tell me your story, I'd probably agree with you, and I'd probably say, man, it's horrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wished I could fix that for you. I wished I could change that for you, but I can't. But I know this, that if you will set your eyes on Jesus and you will trust in him and you will talk to him and you will invite him into your life, you will discover at some point your life will begin to be moved to a Bethlehem kind of thing. Though you've been inconvenienced and worse, and though your life isn't what you wanted it to be or thought it would be, somehow God moves you to the place in which he can do something redeeming something redeeming that will change your life for good not just for time but for all of eternity see jesus wasn't just born in a manger just so we could have a christmas tree and, and open a few gifts he was born in a manger in order that he might grow up take upon himself our sins rise from the dead and begin to be god to us in a way that he would be available whenever we call upon him in prayer. He would hear us when we pray and lead us and guide us. It's, it's wonderful to have a story. You know, it's a marvelous thing to have a story. I have a story. It began on Christmas Day, 1956. I actually was older than that, lived three years before, but that's when I remember life. And my story has a lot of twists and turns in it. And some of it you know well, some of you have heard, I mean, including the, the murder of my little six-year-old sister by someone. And you have these painful, painful things and these journeys that you go and you think, God, why would you allow that? And why this and why that? But this I know, that not only do I have a story, but the best thing in the world is, is when I get to be a part of someone else's story for good. It's the same thing with you. If you want your story to take on real meaning, if you want your story to be something other than just loss after loss after loss and pain after pain, then begin to be aware of and think, how can I, how can I be a part of someone else's story? How can God lead me to a kind of a Bethlehem event? I may be inconvenienced, but the reality of it is there's nothing better 
than being a part of someone else's story when their story starts to turn for good in the Lord. Here is a story that all of you here at the intersection have made happen. And God bless you for making it happen. Hi, I'm Joanne. I am the manager of the Brookstone Apartments just down the street. And I wanted to stop by to let you guys know a few things about us. Gather the pieces that are broken. We just have a lot of need. Some of our apartments are federally subsidized, which means that the government pays most or all of the rent for the people who income qualify. Um, and some of the other apartments are on a different program where the rent is controlled, but it's still, you know, $600 for a two bedroom apartment or $700 for a three bedroom apartment. They're designed for people who are working or have a little bit of income, but maybe need a little bit of help, you know, with their rent. Um, and it just, you know, when you guys have brought the Easter celebration to our property, I just think that that is amazing. Um, the kids that you help, a lot of them have families who have come to the Brookstone Apartments because the parents have decision-making issues. <laughs> they make poor choices. And the kids often are the victims of that. I, um, you know, I have a little boy right now who came to me and asked if he could rake some leaves because he wants to buy a $20 yearbook from school. And his mom can't afford it, you know? And there's little guys like that who are trying so hard to do what they think they need to do to be um, grown up or to even try and take care of their own household. And they're 12, you know, or nine. <laughs> And they show up in my office and they say, you know, mom's been giving us macaroni and cheese for the last three days. You know, do you know where we can get some meat? And I mean, that just breaks your heart. So a lot of these families just having um, something other than mac and cheese or ramen noodles is a big deal. And so when you guys bring, you know, presents or your outreach involves, you know, the candy at Easter or stuffed animals or whatever, just because it's something these kids didn't have to work for, they didn't have to beg for, it's something that somebody brought them just because they're there, it means so much to them. That your guys' outreach is so important, it's because like I said, you are tangible, you are here, you're close by, you're not nameless from across town, you know, and it just, it just really makes a difference and I wanted to let you know that we thank you so much. to her thank you thank you folks the intersection for caring Joanna there she's uh, not a part of our congregation she might be here this morning I'm not sure but uh, you, you can see in her though she's though she's not attending here she has a real heart for the mission field that she's at and she she cares about those people and she uh, genuinely agonized for the folks that live there and is truly, truly grateful for your helping. And the people that live there are truly beneficial. See, there are times in which we get inconvenienced and sometimes we sacrifice and sometimes we think, well, you know, man, there's, but there's, there's needs right here. Yeah, there are needs right here in, in this church. And we do our best to meet those needs as well, but there's needs out there as well. 
And somehow, how do we connect? How do we connect people who, who need to know that there's really some hope and there's some peace with the realities of the Christmas story that God so loved the world that Jesus came for them because he loves them. Not to fit them into some religious mold, but to simply say, I love you, I care about what you're going through, and if you will trust me with your life, I will help you, I will be there. And you know what he is? He is, he has been. I look at my life, there are numerous times I could get grumpy over the inconveniences, and yet you see how God moves us to a place in which he can use us to bless someone else. And it's way better to be a part of someone else's story than our own, way better. This very morning, you may be in attendance today, and you need to just simply say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you come into my life? I want my story to begin now, fresh and new, because I need you in my life. See, you can push Jesus out. The world looks so fun. It looks so popular. It looks so great. I'm going to go out and have fun with the world. But I'll tell you something. There's many of us who found that dries up real quick. And when it dries up, then you've got nothing. Nothing. The best thing you can do is make sure you secure your relationship with Jesus and say, yes, Lord, come into my life. I don't tell you that because I want to gather a crowd. Because frankly, again, that's not an issue for me. I know it is in churches. I know it is in pastors. But those of you that know me know that I don't, I don't do religious stuff. If that was the case, I'd soon be home watching a good football game like some of the members of our church are this morning. I'm here because I really, really believe that God wants you to know that life with Him is far better than life without Him. And that if you say yes to Him, that you will be better off in the future. And some of you already know that, and you've been moving away from Him and strain and going out just doing whatever life in the world has for you. You are missing the very good thing that God has for you. Start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. May your memory come back to Christmas and say, you know what? I remember at Christmas, at Christmas I was reminded that I have a decision to make. Am I going to go on my life without God or will I go on with my life with Him? And if you go on without God, folks, there's, it's, I, I hesitate to even say it because so many times people think preachers are supposed to say it, but that is just not me. Uh, I, it's just not me to say it because it's expected. I really don't care. I had somebody say to me one time, well, pastor, if you do that, then Christians and other churches are going to think badly of us and not going to be happy with us. I really don't care. I'm a farm boy. Farm boys don't live to please people. They rarely, some, I shouldn't say rarely, it, they, they have a hard time pleasing God even. But when they finally say, you know what, I live to please God then suddenly you begin to make a difference in people's lives that are genuine and count for something. And what I would say to you from my heart is if you keep leaving God out of your life and are expecting your life to have, full, have fullness and happiness and joy, you're, you're, you're totally believing the lie of the devil who wants you to stray from God. Come back to Jesus. Live for him. And if you haven't lived for him, today's a good time to say yes. 
We're not going to take your name and number. You're not going to get a bunch of emails from us if you say yes to Jesus. It's up to you what you do with that. We're not going to do anything at all that, that causes you to be a, another, another number. We're, we're doing is simply saying, what you do with Jesus is between you and Jesus. But if you say yes to Jesus, I invite you to come and grow with us because we need each other in many different times, in many different ways, because life sometimes is inconvenient and we need each other and we need to pray with one another. But don't stray from him. This Christmas, make the gift that God gave to us through his son a gift you open and accept in your own heart and life. Bow your heads just for a moment with me. If that's you here today, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. And I know that there are good Christians that would want me to do that. But I am so, so bent on you understanding and knowing from my heart, your acceptance of Jesus is not about me. It's really about you. I want you to know from the depths of my heart that if you accept Jesus, I'm not going to go home and put a notch in my spiritual belt so I can say, yep, another one. I, I, I want to know. It's, it, none of that means anything to me. The only thing that means anything to me is that you find, you find peace in your heart and soul. That you find that God does hear when we pray. That you discover that he has an eternal life waiting for you because you believe in him and have accepted him as Lord. That you discover that this world is so empty without him. You need him in your life and you say yes to him. It's the only thing that really matters is that you determine in your heart and life, yes, I want Jesus in my life. And if that's you this morning, then I will become a part of your story. Your story that God brought you to the intersection of decision today. And you said, yeah, you know what? I need to get this right. I need to do this right with him. And this prayer will be yours. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you so much for the Christmas story. Children have a perspective that is so delightful and fun and simple, simple faith. And yet, Lord, it is so much deeper than just a child being born. That It is, as young Andrew said, Jesus was born. And, and that means so much more than just presence and Christmas trees and lights. And it means even so much more than family coming from back east. It means that we have the hope and the promise of eternal life and that I belong to you, O Lord, and that you hear me when I pray. And though sometimes that gets tested and though sometimes my life gets inconvenienced, I know that those things are steering me towards possibilities in which I can be a part of someone else's life for good. And it's the same way with everybody out here. So, Lord, those who would say today, would you hear me, Lord, and forgive me of my sin and come into my life? Lord, I want to be one of yours. Would you hear them today, right where they sit? May they know you and accept you, that you, Lord, have made a way for them, that they could call upon you, and you will hear, and you answer. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you sing together? Oh, holy night.
the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error binding till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of Rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning.
not just an accident, not just another baby born, but a baby that God ordained should happen in this planet for you and for I. This Christmas, don't just live it for yourself. Be a part of someone's story. It may well be that, that uh, it might inconvenience you. It might mess up your plans. It might ruin your calendar. It might mess up your, your Christmas turkey. But be a part of someone else's life. Because God loved us, so we ought to love one another. So let God use you. You'll be inconvenienced. I'm not going to kid you about that. Life won't be perfect. It won't be easy. You will encounter stumbling blocks and things that the enemy means to try and dissuade you from the truth that God loves you. But he does. And so you stay straight with him and you trust him and he'll never, ever disappoint you. Hallelujah for Jesus. Would you give someone near you a good squeeze Merry Christmas to you? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Love. 